1581, John Derrick published a work entitled The Image of Ireland. Describing an Irish feast, he wrote, quote, Now when their guts be full, then comes the pastime in. The bard and harper melody unto them doth begin. This bardy doth report the noble conquest done, and eke in rhyme shows forth at large the glory thereby won. And more to stir them up, to prosecute their ill. What great renown their fathers got, they show by rhyming skill. And they must gladsome are to hear of parents' name, as how by spoiling honest men they won such endless fame. Wherefore, like graceless grafts sprung from a wicked tree, they grow through daily exercise to all iniquity, and more to augment the flame and rancor of their heart, the friar of his counsel vile to rebels doth impart, affirming that it is an almost deed to God to make the English subjects taste the Irish rebel's rod, to spoil, to kill, to burn, the friar's counsel is, and for the doing of the same he warrants heavenly bliss. So Derek casts Ireland as a strange and dangerous place with people culturally different, less civilized than the English, and very dangerous. Well, what was Ireland in the 16th century, and why was it of importance to the Elizabethans? Well, Ireland offered opportunity. The opportunity for land, for wealth, and to experiment in the process of empire building. Tudor attitudes towards Irish must be seen within this context, the context of Tudor expansion and the growth of an English national identity. With the Protestant Reformation, Ireland acquired a new identity, a possible threat from within as the Catholic population maintained links with England's Catholic enemies, Spain and France. Ireland had remained peripheral, yet with the Reformation, new problems were presented which shifted interest towards a lordship which had been largely ignored for centuries and allowed to develop on its own. When the Tudors began to involve themselves more directly in Irish affairs, they were confronted with a culture much more different from their own, one which they deemed less civilized, backward, and threatening. There were three main groups in Ireland in the 16th century. There were the native Irish, there were the Anglo-Irish, the descendants of the original Norman um, adventurers that had settled after the 1170s, and there were the English, new arrivals into the country. The newly arriving English saw all of these people already in Ireland as a threat and as uncivilized. And this even applied to the Anglo-Irish, and so, as a certain degree of assimilation had taken place. And the Anglo-Irish had crafted their own identity, which was less English than the English would have liked. In an age of expansion, Ireland became England's first experiment into colonization. England's first intimate contact with the other, a culture unlike their own. When plantation was underway, we immediately begin to see English atrocities justified in the name of quote, civilization, of the need to civilize the Irish by making them more English. It's also very easy to justify actions taken by referring to the Irish as troublemakers who instigated all conflicts. Many of the English active in Ireland were pleased when the Irish did rise up as it gave them justification for reprisals, even if the Irish had been wronged in the first place, and English actions could be particularly harsh. 1574, 200 Irish were massacred during a Christmas feast. The government in London was beginning to take a particular hard view of the Irish, and Lord Essex, who had led the slaughter, was commended for his actions by Queen Elizabeth. 
The actions of Essex, which were consistently harsh, convinced the government in London that the Gaelic-Irish were unreasonable. Harsh treatment was also given out by those colonizing Munster. When resistance to colonization occurred in 1569, Gilbert was appointed military governor of Munster and given almost unrestricted powers of martial law. Thereafter, war in Munster became total war. Gilbert extended his actions to every, quote, man, woman, and child. The killing of innocents was justified on the grounds they had been found supporting the rebels. The heads of all victims were cut off and placed in rooms, which all those later submitting to Gilbert's authority were forced to walk past and view as they walked up to him. Men like Gilbert and Essex believed that they were absolved from all normal ethical constraints when dealing with the Irish. The question to be asked is why? How could they justify such grotesque actions? Well, first of all, this probably was the first time since the original Norman conquest that large numbers of English came into contact with the Irish in their native habitat. The Tudor period colonists were arriving into the areas to be colonized directly from England. They didn't spend a lot of time in the Pale, the, the more sort of anglified area around Dublin, to get acclimatized. They're going straight into mixing with the native Irish. And secondly was the whole issue of Catholicism. The English that were arriving in Ireland were coming directly into a Catholic Ireland. There were a lot of peculiarities of religious practice, and this was something that was even noticed early on by the Normans and the uh, Anglo-Normans that were coming into Ireland from the 1170s. But they were able to justify it and turn a blind eye. They, after all, were both Catholics. But in the 16th century, things were different. Many of the new adventurers arriving into Ireland were extreme Protestants. And they were shocked, not only by the fact that they were meeting a Catholic population, but by the state of the church in Ireland. Churches in Ireland were extremely poor, in very poor condition, falling apart. Priests and ministers were poorly instructed. And they came across a great deal of adultery and murder and other crimes, which seemed to be commonplace. And they saw it as kind of a significant level of paganism and superstition. And so many English arriving in Ireland came to very quickly consider the Irish to be pagan. There was also a substantial body of propaganda emerging which helped create a negative image of the Irish, like the quote that we began with. One said that the Irish, quote, neither love nor dread God nor hate the devil, unquote. That they were superstitious and worshipped images. Such pamphlets were likely designed to increase the position of the Anglo-Irish of the Pale, make them look more English in contrast, but instead they were used against the Irish. Edmund Spencer wrote, quote, They are all papists by their profession, but in the same so blindly and brutishly informed, for the most part, as that you would rather think them atheists or infidels. Therefore, English adventurers of the 1560s and 1570s had little difficulty convincing themselves that the Irish were pagan, and therefore they deserved the harshest treatment. This view of the Irish was necessary to justify their wars, as wars of this type against a Christian civilized population would be deemed unjust. And there's a great parallel here with what the Spanish were doing in the Americas. This view that the Irish were less civilized, even barbaric, was further confirmed by many of their customs, agriculture, and their general way of life. For example, many Irish practiced transhumance, the moving of their flocks in the different seasons. This suggests that they were nomadic. And from the Tudor perspective, if you were nomadic and didn't have a set civilized town to live in, then you were barbaric. Writers built up a catalog of Irish characteristics and abuses, incest and all sorts of crimes and abominations in order to justify their view. 
Elizabethans also developed a very powerful mythology surrounding the Irish in Ireland, the mythology of the Briton and Scythian. They would argue that the Irish were originally Britons, that original population that lived in the British Isles when the Romans first arrived. King Arthur was a Briton, and he was king of the Britons. Therefore, they would argue that he ruled over the Irish. Elizabeth Tudor was a direct descendant of King Arthur, they argued, and therefore the Tudors had a legitimate right to rule Ireland. The other idea, mythology, was the idea of the Scythian, that the Irish were descended from ancient barbarians that had plagued the Roman Empire. Therefore, they must be forcibly civilized. In the views of Sir Thomas Smith, who sponsored a colony in Ireland, the English were the new Romans, come to civilize the Irish, just as the Romans had done to the ancient Britons. In his view, the Irish needed to be made bondsmen to enlightened lords who could instruct them in the ways of civil society. But of course, this would all be done while they were being exploited as a source of cheap labor. Many of the new adventurers then were looking to drive the old ruling elite out while maintaining the majority of the population as docile agricultural workers. This set up a growing rift between the Anglo-Irish, Gaelic Ireland, and the newly arrived English. The Anglo-Irish now took it upon themselves to demonstrate that they were indeed English and a civilizing force separate from Gaelic Ireland. So there were tensions between all three segments of the population. What we begin to see in the 16th century is the old idea that the Irish were culturally inferior being replaced by the idea that they were anthropologically inferior were well behind the English on the ladder of development. So there were tensions between all three segments of the population. What we begin to see in the 16th century is the old idea that the Irish were culturally inferior being replaced by the idea that they were anthropologically inferior and were well behind the English on the ladder of development. Here we can look to strong influence coming from Spain, who had just conquered the Americas, used many of the same justifications as were now being used by the English in Ireland. So what does this mean? Well, it meant that there was no hope for conciliation in Ireland, as the English saw it as their civic duty to subdue the barbarians. Secondly, this affected the Anglo-Irish, who came under censure for adopting Gaelic practices, so they were being forced to become, in a sense, more English. And third, it also meant that violence was often used to solve problems, as English adventurers could easily justify their actions in the eyes of those in England they were acting as they should. Now, this is all important for so many different reasons, um, for what it meant to Irish history and the growing relationship between England and Ireland, but it also tells us a great deal about the Tudors themselves. It tells us that in the process of constructing an English nation, they othered the people of Ireland. They created a separate identity for the Irish, and one which was incredibly negative. The Tudors saw themselves as culturally superior to the Irish, that this gave them justification for Tudor dominance. We see that this was really the first stage of Tudor empire building. Some indeed would be, the same ideas would be replicated in the New World. By creating a negative image of the Irish, they were developing a positive image of themselves and the role that England would play in the world. We see kind of a growing sense of destiny and importance, a justification of all that was Tudor. It was a reason for expanding into Ireland and into the New World, where they could spread this quote-unquote kind of gifts of the English, the English Protestant ways to those deemed in need of such civilizing influences.